Hello, hello. We, uh, you guys look good today. It's good to see you guys. Thank you, Caitlin. Uh, so yes, Jesus said some crazy things. Like if you're reading the Bible and you're going through it and you say, did Jesus just say that? Chances are, yes, he probably did say that. And so we've had, uh, as I've read through the Bible, people come to me and say, what? Did Jesus really say this? We've had to talk about it. So this sermon series we're called, it's called Jesus Said What? So today is uh, Jesus Said Hate Your Mama? So we're going to, yes, we're going to talk about that. And Ben and Johnny have done a great job of just talking about some of the things that Jesus talked about that were either crazy, maybe we've forgotten about it, maybe we don't quite understand. So what are some of these strange things that Jesus said, and how can we live that out a little bit? So yes, over the course of being here, I guess, people come up to me and said, uh, Isaac, I've read through the Bible, and Jesus says we should hate our moms. Is that what really says? Yes, Jesus said you should hate your mom and your dad and your brothers and your sisters. Maybe your question is, did Jesus have some family issues? What is going on with Jesus? Um, we, he did not. He did not. And this is the same guy that said, love your enemies. So how are we, how are we cha- accepting love your enemies, hate your family? Uh, in, in 1 John chapter 4, he says, if you say you love God and hate your brothers— you're a liar. What is going on? Is the Bible contradicting itself? So we want to talk about this. Uh, we, what's going on here? We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 14, where this section takes place. What's going on is Jesus is in the middle of answering a question that he's been asked several verses earlier on in the chapter about who gets into heaven. Who gets into heaven? Who is saved? Who has eternal life? And this is kind of the theme that Luke is developing And if you've ever asked the question, who gets into heaven? This is Jesus' response to that. So my ears would perk up because I would rather be in heaven than hell, which is next week. We'll talk about that. Uh, But we want to know. We have this kind of perspective of Hitler out, Billy Graham, when he dies, in. Where am I? I want to make sure I'm on the positive side of this. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. So, Am I in or out? Let's look at what Jesus says. This is in Luke chapter 14. We're going to read 25 through 45. And it says, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned to them. If anyone comes to me, and in this, when he says, if anyone comes to me, what he's saying, if anyone comes asking about salvation, asking about eternal life, asking about how to get into heaven, that's what he's saying here. If anyone comes to me, and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears, let him hear. 
So this passage comes off of two stories earlier in chapter 14 of a great wedding feast and then a great banquet feast. And in it, Jesus is, Luke is building this idea of who gets into heaven. This matters to people, especially to poor people far away from Rome. They're living under Roman, Roman um, occupation. They're, they're, they're living under a foreign ruler in their own land. And they're saying, we want something better. How do we get you, Jesus, to come in and make us important? We want eternal life. We want salvation. They're asking this question, and Luke is building this. And so this is the story that he comes up with. When he's telling this, he, he was reminded of a story by the Holy Spirit that Jesus says this while he's out with the crowd. And in this, Jesus says three things, the, three things, three times. He says one thing three times, and it's this. He says, if they don't do something, you cannot be my disciple. Three times he says that. If you don't do this, you can't be my disciple. If you don't do this, you can't be my disciple. If you, can't, if you don't do this, you cannot be my disciple. So he's answering the question, how do we get into heaven? By responding, you have to be my disciple. So if we want to start with the, the question of how do we get to heaven, Jesus' response here is, you need to be my disciple. And then he gives us three things that we have to do if we're his disciple. So what is a disciple? A disciple is someone who follows someone to such an extent that that person becomes the ultimate priority in their life. They, they follow them around. They want to be like them. They, they watch every move. Uh, they, they follow them on Twitter constantly, whatever it is. Or you, there, are, there are people that have pastors that they look to, and whatever that pastor says, whatever that author says, that is what I believe. That would be a disciple of that pastor. There are people in society today who are disciples of celebrities. Whatever this one person does, I'm going to do. I'm going to follow him. You hear things like Justin, ha Justin Bieber has believers. Believers are these crazy fans that love Justin Bieber, and they're following him. They're disciples. And Jesus says, if you want to get into heaven, you need to be my disciple. And these are the things he needs to do. So we need to make Jesus the ultimate priority in our life. Then he gives these three things. So let's look at these three things. The three things that Jesus tells us in this, chap, in this section here are love Christ more than you love your family. We're going to talk about that. He says, carry, you need to carry your cross. And then he says, relinquish everything. Get rid of everything. Renounce everything. And as I was looking at this, even looking at these three, I feel a sense of heaviness because these are not easy things to do. These aren't things like go eat chocolate cake. You know, it's not, it's not go to Starbucks and have a coffee drink on me. That would be something that'd be like, yeah, let's do that. These three things look difficult, look painful, look costly. So let's, let's take a look at them and see what, what Jesus says about these three things. Uh, the first one and remember, this is the, these, these three things are the answer to the question, how do we get into heaven? So it's not like it's anything major here. It's only everything lays on the line here. There is not a greater question in the world than what Jesus is answering. There, this is a big statement, a big, big lesson that Jesus is teaching here. So let's look at verse 26. It says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So did Jesus say, you need to hate your mom? That's what he said, yes. Yes, he did say that. He said, you need to hate your dad, yes. Some of you are saying, oh, I, got some, I got a list of people. Um, but here's what's really Jesus saying. 
Here's what Jesus is really saying. Let's, if we go back and think of Jesus walking around in the first century at this time, family life was the world. Their, their social setting revolved around their family. Nothing was more important to these people than their family because outside of the family, you could get stuck. Their job, their livelihood, their friends, everything revolved around family. Just a couple of quick uh, Bible stories. For those of you remember, the prodigal son, the prodigal son, why is that such a big deal? Because the guy left the family. Family is a big deal. We think of Ruth. We talked about that last July, where the family is central to these people. This is extremely important. So to say you hate your family is a big deal. This is, this is shocking. This is mind-altering. Like, what are you saying? This is our livelihood. These are the people we depend on. For, for women, they, if they didn't have family, they were, gonna, they were in trouble. They would either die or end up in prostitution because they had to have family. They had to have men to take care of them. They just didn't have the ability. Men needed their wives to raise the kids so that when they got older, they could survive. Family was a big, big deal. And Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you need to hate your family. They'd be looking around going, what is this guy talking about? You think we're thinking, this guy, what's Jesus saying? These people, it was big deal. But... But what he's saying also is this is a Jewish term that means you love something more than another. So even there's a couple examples. If you look at Genesis 29, 30, and 31, what's going on there is it says Jacob hates Leah but loves Rachel. And so this is its idea. It doesn't mean that they actually hate. It is the word hate. It absolutely means hate. But, what Jesus, but the way Jews would talk in the first century is they would say, I love something more than this to such an extent that it looks like hatred. I love something so much more that it looks like hatred. So Jesus isn't saying, hate your mom and dad. He's not saying, hate your spouse, hate your family. He's not saying that. What he's actually saying is, if you were gonna compare how you love the most significant, important people in your life, the, the, the thing that it's, you need if you were going to compare that to your love for me, it looks like hatred. He, so he's saying, your love should, for me should be way more than even the most important part of this earthly world. He, he's, he's saying how important he is in people's life. He's not saying to hate your family. He's not saying that. It's just, it's just a saying. He's using metaphor here. If, you, if you're still a little nervous about that, Matthew, fortunately Matthew says kind of the same idea in Matthew 10, verse 37. And it says this. This is a little more calming for us. It says, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy than me. So Matthew doesn't, he, he doesn't use the Jewish term here, the Jewish phrase or the, the, the language. He does it a little more comfortable for us. Like he says, you need to love Jesus more than your family. So did Jesus say, hate your parents? Yes, he did. Uh, did he mean that? He meant you need to love him more than you love your family. And for some of this, this is tricky. Uh, we need to know that disciples of Christ, and you can write this down. I'll say it a couple times for you. Disciples of Jesus love Jesus more than you love any relationship on earth. Disciples of Jesus love Jesus more than any relationship on earth. So what does this look like? 
We, let me see if I can explain the difference. So last Sunday, we were at uh, my in-law's house for the 4th of July last weekend, and we went to church on Sunday morning as a family. And we went to the church where Katie's youth pastor is now, he started a church a few years ago, and now he's, he's planted a church. So these people that we're going to, this church we're going to, are all our Katie's, my wife's youth pastor, high school friends, junior high friends. She went to church with these people for years. They love her. Uh, she loves them. This is an important church in their congregation. I know, I know them because of Katie. A few of them I even went to college with. These are great people. We're excited to go. When we go, when we get there, and I know I'm going to see my college friends, guess what I do? I take my kids and I start pushing my kids forward. And they're kind of looking at me. Why do I push my kids forward to see my friends? Because I love those kids. I'm proud of those kids. I want, when people to see me, I want them to see my kids because I love them. They're my pride and joy. I want them to say, oh, this is your kid. Look at him. He looks just like you. This one looks just like his, this one just looks like her mother. Thank the Lord for that. I want that. I love those kids and I want them. So because I love these earthly kids so much, I want other people to see them. I'm proud of them. I want that to be the first thing people see when, I, when, they, when they're meeting me. That is what love for Jesus looks like. The first thing that people are seeing is not some guy that's saying, are you in church? Check. Are you reading your Bible? Check. You're not in church this week. We're gonna come get you. That is not what love of Jesus looks like. Love of Jesus looks like, oh man, church this week was great. I was reading in my Bible this week. Just, just a natural flow of conversation. When people are talking with you, I feel like people probably get tired of me talking about my kids. They should probably get tired of me talking about Jesus. That is what love for Jesus looks like. Is he the ultimate priority in our life? There are people who, when in Eugene, uh, they would stop by my desk and I know, I would, I've told you this before, I would like shrink in my desk because I know I'm gonna hear 20 minutes about their kid. And I just, you can't take it anymore. <laughs> I know their kid is awesome. We should be that for Jesus. Our love for Jesus is just so much that we just, people are ducking, not because of guilt, but because they know we're gonna be hearing about Jesus. That is what the love of Jesus is talking about. So much greater than the greatest family Stories and events we have, we're going to talk about Jesus all the time. That's the kind of love Jesus is saying here. Uh, so that's, that's our desire. Number two, the next thing that Jesus talks about is carrying your cross. And this one, let's, I'll read it again. It's Luke 14, 27. Jesus says, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Okay, so this is, when we hear cross, we think Jesus, we think salvation, we think awesome, communion, we're saved. We're excited about the cross. This is before Jesus died on the cross. So when these people hear Jesus say, die on, your, on the cross, carry your cross, what they hear is they, they see the intersection, they just passed a few intersections back of criminals hanging on a cross naked, screaming for help hardly able to breathe. They remember last week when the convicted murderer, the convicted rebel against Rome is having to carry his cross. People are throwing things at him, spitting at him. They're mocking him. He has to go through town and they hang him up a painful death and they, and they hang him up for the whole world to mock and make fun of because he's a horrible criminal. He's convicted. He's a terrible guy and he gets to pay for his crime. That is what the picture they see. 
not some, oh, thank you, Jesus, for carrying the cross. So when Jesus says, carry your cross, they think, whoa, uh, that's crazy. We think, hey, your mom is bad. This sounds painful. This is terrible. They don't think, oh, this sounds great. This is a challenging, challenging thing. It says this captures their attention. It's a public, painful death. This is difficult for them to wrap their minds around. And Jesus says, if you want to follow me, if you want eternal life, you need to carry your cross through the streets here of Jerusalem and, and, and go die before in front of everybody. Luke, fortunately, and he adds a little bit in a few chapters earlier, Luke says something very similar that he quotes Jesus. This is Luke 9, 23. He says, And Jesus said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So earlier on, Luke kind of sets this up and he says, Taking up your cross is also denying yourself and doing this on a daily basis. So denying yourself is not self-martyrdom. So we get these people that try to be, say they're like Jesus and they say, Oh, just trying to be like Jesus. I've given all my clothes away, given all my food away. I'm hungry. Glory to God. You're like, that, that is not what Jesus is saying. That is not at all what Jesus is saying. Uh, that's, what Jesus is saying is self-denial. Putting God first. Putting Him first. Uh, I was thinking about this this past week. And as I was thinking about it, I was thinking about my kids. And you know, they get that point where it's not like just one waffle, one roll, one helping. It's like, hey, I want more burger, one, more burgers, more food. And you're like, hey, this is really started to cost me some money here. Let's just slow down. You guys get to that point. You remember that? Um, I was thinking about how there's a cost with kids and it just starts costing more money. And as I was thinking about it, I remembered when I was a kid, especially when I was a teenager, when we'd be at the dinner table and we we usually have meat in the Hebden house, um, not a lot of fruit or vegetables, glory to God. We, um, (laughs) We would usually have some kind of meat. And I remember when it would always get down to that last piece, I I can't remember a time where my dad would take it and throw it on his plate and cut it up and eat it. I don't remember, I don't ever remember him doing that. What I always remember, always, is him saying, hey, eyes, you want that last piece of steak? You want that last chicken? You want that last burger? Now, look, look, look at him. He wants that burger. (laughs) He wants that burger. But he would always, every time I can remember it, ask me if I wanted it. Oftentimes, just as many times as that last piece, it would be gone and the plate would be empty and I'd look at it and he'd say, hey, Eyes, you want, want my piece? And he would give me his own food off his own plate. That is self-denial. That's what love looks like. Putting the desires, what I, I would really like to have this. But hey, it looks like you, you want it. You can have it. Putting that self-denial, that's what dying to yourself looks like in, in Western culture in 21st century America where we're not have to physically die. Putting Christ first sometimes is uncomfortable. Sometimes it means I have to shut my mouth when I would really like to say a few things. Sometimes it means I have to say something when I really would like to get uninvolved in this situation. Sometimes it means forgiving somebody that hasn't even asked for forgiveness. Sometimes it means serving people that do not deserve to be served. That is what dying to self looks like on the, for the sake of Christ for us. D- saying, Jesus, I, this person 
they've caused me a lot of grief. I'm going to forgive them because of you. That's what carrying cross looks like. It's self-denial. It means we're no longer in control of our life. Christ is. Uh, it's saying my way isn't important. You're, you have what you want, your preference. What do you want to do? Where do you want to go? How, how loud do you want the volume in the service today? That's the question. I got, a, I got Dale laughing at that one. <laughs> that is what self-denial is. That's what Jesus is talking about. So then he takes these two crazy, mind-changing ideas. Hate your parents. Carry your death cross. And then he tells this story. He gives these illustrations. And these illustrations help point out what he's talking about. This is 28 through 32. It says, For which of you desiring to build the tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate? whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So these are two stories that Jesus points to. He gives these two huge points, two, illustration, two illustrative stories. This is what he's saying. He's saying, you need to think about this. There's, there's a cost involved in becoming my disciple. So he tells a story about a builder who's gonna build a tower, but if the guy who's going to build the tower, he should probably decide what kind of plans, what, what are we going to build with? What do we want the tower to look like? How are we going to pay for this? Who's going to build it? There are some plans that need to be built and dealt with before this tower is going to be built. And then he says, what if the guy didn't do that, started building the tower, only laid the foundation, and then runs out of money? Then he's going to be mocked. He's going to make fun of say, look at that guy. He started something and didn't even think about it. This guy needs to rethink what's going on. And this is, this is something that's optional. You can choose whether or not to build a tower. The, the next story, though, Jesus says, or what about a king who's going to be invaded? And this king only has 10,000 soldiers. The other country that's coming in has 20,000. This king really needs to think, is he going to go to war and probably die? Or is he going to send out a peace delegation to say, hey, uh, I'm going to serve you, whatever you want. You come take what you want. Just don't kill everybody. The king has to take some time to consider what's going on. And Jesus is saying, as disciples of Jesus, we need to take time to what's going on. What I like about both, he kind of, Jesus gives an optional, an option. You can decide whether to build or not. And then there's a not optional. It's, it's going to happen. The, these people are going to be invaded, whether they like it or not. There is no choice here. It's going to happen. And, and what I like about that is Jesus is going from to soft to expressing his point is eventually we're all going to have to make a decision. We are either going to be with Jesus or not. We're either going to be for peace like the king or war. We're going to have a decision. Are you going to love him or are you not? And, and Jesus is saying we need to count the cost on this. I get as a pastor, I feel like I can be a little bit frustrated with other pastors who um, 
especially, and I think I see this mostly growing up and going to like youth camps and youth functions where preachers get up and paint this rosy picture of Christianity. If you come to know Jesus, you're going to have an awesome life. It's going to be awesome. You're going to be rich and famous and people are going to be making songs about you and it's going to be great. And then when, you know, life gets a little bit difficult, people are like, hey, I accepted Jesus back in the third grade. Why is it difficult? And, and so we paint this rosy picture, and I feel like sometimes we talk about the reward more than counting the cost. And Jesus says there is a cost, and there is a reward, but there is a cost. And, and so I sometimes feel like these youth kids, uh, in particular, you grow up, you go to church camp, they have these great experiences at youth camp, and then life gets difficult, and then they say, oh, God, he doesn't even love me. I didn't get what I wanted. And I, it's not their fault because people like me didn't say, look, it's going to be difficult sometimes. There are costs involved. We do get invaded. We do have to make decisions. When you build a tower, it's going to cost you money. There are things you have to go through. However, what Jesus is also saying here is, you're going to get invaded either way. Are you going to be with Jesus or are you not? Either way, there is a cost. If you say, yes, I'll choose Jesus, you will. there's a cost to pay, but eventually there's going to be life. And there will be good things. And there is benefit. And who here wouldn't say, yeah, there's cost, but I'm so glad I paid that price. I'm so glad I have given up those things because what I gave up is nothing compared to what I now have. I, I'm so glad I did. When we're, we're in the middle of these things, we think, oh, I'm not sure if it's worth it. It's worth it. On the other side, there's a cost to pay too. And maybe we think, ah, this is my life. I got to do what I want. This is awesome. Eventually, that train's gonna run into the problems. We're gonna, there's gonna be cost to pay on the other end for the rest of eternity. And, and when we do think we know what's going on, there's a terrible price to pay. And I would rather pay small now and have great later than pay what I think is nothing now and everything later everything later. We, we're talking about giving up everything now. The price now is much cheaper than eternal problems later on. And like I said, we're going to talk a little bit about hell next week, uh, but the, the cost is everything either way. Now or later, Jesus says, you get to choose. My hope is that today we give everything now. Uh, so then actually moving from that point, Jesus says, so therefore, this is point number three, relinquish or surrender everything. And he says, at the end of his story, he gives you two stories. He says, so therefore, meaning this is the whole point of what I'm talking about. Any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but salt has lost its taste. How shall, it be salty? How shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He says, so therefore, this is the point. If you don't give away everything, if you're not willing to renounce everything that you have, you cannot be my disciple. And I want to say, boy, that sounds extreme. It is extreme. It is crazy. Look at the disciples, Peter, James, John, Andrew, all these guys, Matthew, left their job and went and followed Jesus. It is extreme. Does that mean we have to renounce everything? Jesus said, if we want to be his disciples, we need to be. Does this mean you need to quit your job tomorrow? No. No, don't quit your job tomorrow unless Jesus is saying you need to quit your job tomorrow. That's up to you and Jesus. Uh, my point is that we need to surrender all that we have to Jesus, and, and he'll take care of it. 
We'll talk with Jesus about these things. So, uh, if we're following Jesus, we have to be willing, willing to let everything go to follow him. So then he concludes this lesson by this strange story about salt. I think it's interesting, so I'll talk about it. Um, and it's in the Bible, so we should talk about it. The, um, the salt lesson, he says, salt is good, but if it's lost its taste, how shall saltiness be restored? So what he's saying here is, in this area, there's no refrigeration, so, but they have the Dead Sea right nearby. And they get all this salt from the Dead Sea, and salt, of course, is delicious, so you put it on food, or you can put it to, re- to preserve some of your food products. So salt's a big deal in this society. What happens sometimes with the Dead Sea salt is that it would get too much other stuff. I'm not a scientist or a geographer or whatever that stuff is. I'm, I just read the Bible, so I don't understand what that stuff is. But Anyway, the, the, there's impurities in the salt, and so what happens is, is the, salt, the salt tastes terrible. You wouldn't want it on your food. And it's, not only does it taste terrible, but it's not working as a preservative because so, it has all these other things. So you can't eat it, and you can't preserve anything. Well, then the added problem is, is you can't even put it in the compost pile to, or the manure heap to like make your food grow because it ruins food. What do we know about the Dead Sea? It's dead. There's nothing in it because of all the salt, right? And Ben talked about that last week. Nothing going out. You can't have salt. And in fact, some, in, not so much anymore, but in times past, the Romans and other countries, when they would conquer other countries, if they were really mad at them, they would just walk through the fields where they would grow things and just spread salt out all over the fields so that nothing would grow in those fields for the people they were really mad at. So Jesus is saying, we need to be salt, but salt has a purpose, and it's salty or it preserves. But if it doesn't have either one, it's, it's worse than useless. You can't do anything with it. You can't put it in the garbage because you can't compost it. It's just completely worthless. So Jesus says, we need to be salt. And so he's saying, we need to be useful. That's an idea. People that love Jesus being helpful. I like that idea. Jesus is saying, listen, there's no middle ground with salt. You're either useful or you're not. You either are with me or you're not. You either love me completely or you don't. This idea about raising our hand when they're in the first grade and I accepted Jesus and then I haven't gone to church. Jesus is saying, you either love me like this and you're in or you're not. There's no middle ground. That's difficult for us to hear, honestly. It's, it's difficult for me to say. I want to say, well, hold on. There's this, I want, I'm tempted to say, what he really meant here is But that's not what he said. He said, you're either with me or not. Either be useful, be salty, love me beyond everything else, or you're not my disciple. There's no middle ground here. One author says it like this. He says, discipleship is not periodic volunteer work on one's own terms and at one's own convenience. Let me read that again. Discipleship is not periodic volunteer work on one's own terms and at one's own convenience. That's not a disciple. A disciple is all or nothing. And that's what Jesus said. Can we see that list again? Um, So as I'm looking through this, as I'm talking through this, as I'm studying, I look at that list. I honestly, this is difficult. Trying to measure up, it's just difficult. I don't feel like, woo, right now. This is, and so Jesus and I were talking. I'm like, Jesus, listen, this is difficult. Uh, And I was just working through it. And this is what he said to me. He said, see this list that I gave, that I preached? This is exactly what I did for you. I loved my family more than I loved. I loved you. I loved God the Father more than I loved my own family. 
Jesus was, and he lived, he had his own family. He had like at least five brothers, at least two sisters, a mom and a dad. He had a big family. And there's several times in the Bible where Jesus bails on his family. Remember that time as a little boy where three days out, they're out in the wilderness and they're driving back to Nazareth and Mary, the mom and dad, Jesus, Mary and Joseph say, hey, has anybody seen Jesus? And where's Jesus? He's back in the temple studying his father's word. Jesus loved God more than he loved his family and he loved me more than he loved his own family. And he loved you more than he loved his own family because what he, what, later on we see Jesus preaching and his family coming and saying, hey, uh, Jesus, we need to talk to you. You've gone crazy. Come with us. Come with us. And Jesus says, oh no, the people that do the will of God are my brothers and sisters. Jesus went to the cross even when his family didn't like it. Even when they thought he was crazy, Jesus went through with God's plan because he loved God more than his family and he loved us more than what his family wanted them to do. Does that make sense? Jesus loved his family more than, loved God more than his family. Next it says, carry your cross. Well, we know this. Jesus literally carried his cross. We know what he went through. He did that for us. And then he gave up everything. Philippians 2, again, I've said this like every time I preach. If I die, when I die, and you guys are here, Philippians 2, read it at my funeral. Love it. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So this is what it says Jesus did. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This passage says Jesus was in heaven. He was with God and he left heaven to come to first century Rome, dirt poor, no electricity, born in, a, born in a barn, smelly. He walked. There was not a lot of showers. He did all of that for us. He emptied himself and became a man for us. He let go of all that he had. He had to walk. He couldn't fly anymore. He couldn't be everywhere. He was Jesus. He was one spot, one place. He could walk on water, which is cool. Yes, we'll give him that. Uh, but he, he could only be in one place. He emptied himself of all that and became a man. He gave up everything. So as I was thinking this, this story then does it be, becomes not a story of do this, do this, and do this, but it becomes a love story. A love story of Jesus loving us first. And our response to Jesus is either I love you with everything I've got or rejection. I'm not ashamed to admit this. I like chick flicks. I don't care. I like them. I like chick flicks. You tell it to me. If it's a good one, I'll watch it. The Notebook, Pretty Woman, I don't care. I'll watch it. You've got mail, love it. So, we, I don't care. I don't, thank you, thank you. So, the, at the same time though, we love these stories and we love Braveheart. We love Gladiator. Why? Because in the end, there's a love story. In these movies, whether the chick flicks or the guy, the good guy movies, Gladiator, Braveheart, those ones, in the end, somebody gives up everything that they have and chases something else to the point where they're willing to die for it. Braveheart, he's willing to die. Gladiator, he's willing to die for the love of his family. Um, 
Notebook, they're willing to die for the love. They're, they're chasing each other. We love these stories because it moves us. And in these, we can understand that Jesus is loving us too. So when I think about this list or, or think about the movie uh, Goodwill Hunting, at the end of Goodwill Hunting, if you haven't seen it, it's been out for 50 years, I'm gonna, or 15 years, I'm gonna tell you the end, sorry. At the end of Goodwill Hunting, the very last scene, this guy, been after this girl, she leaves and goes from Boston to West Coast. His friends show up at his door. He's not there. There's a note in his door, in his mentor's door. Uh, what's the guy's name? Robin Williams. And Robin Williams, it says, the, Matt Damon said, I've gone to go see about a girl. We love that. We love packing up everything and leaving. Uh, a friend of mine, good friend of mine, he was a great baseball player. Great baseball player. Played for Gonzaga University. Um, got hurt, though, so he didn't actually play in the game. He's on the team. He's in practice. He gets hurt. So he misses the baseball season. This guy was awesome. I, I will say, he's good, really good. The coach wants him to go down to, Port, to Bend to train, get some more work in. The problem is, is this guy is in love with this girl and she's moving from Portland to Spokane th that summer. So this guy has to face a really serious and a, a truthful, if I go to Bend and chase my baseball dream, I will lose the girl of my dreams. At the same time, baseball, this guy is good. I've asked him before, you better than those guys in the Spokane Indians? He's like, you know what, they're good kids. Yeah, I was better. And this is a humble, <laughs> this is a humble, humble guy. So for him to say, yeah, I was better, he means he's better than those guys. He's a good baseball player. And, or he can stay in Spokane and be with this girl, but then he'd have to tell the coach, yeah, sorry, um, I'm not gonna do what you asked. Essentially, quitting the team, no longer playing baseball. What did he do? Uh, he went to see about a girl, of course. He chose the girl. They're married. I see people shaking their heads. Bad decision, but no, he did. <laughs> the girl comes to Spokane. They get married. They got a kid. They're doing great. He chose the girl. He gave up his dream. We love those stories. Jesus did the same thing for us. Love denies self. Love puts the other people in priority. And, and, and so when I look at the, this list anymore, I don't see a do this, do this, do this. I see a, oh, Jesus did this for me. This is what love is. This is what being in relationship looks like. If I put up a list in my house saying, uh, Katie, you're gonna love me more than you love any other man. You're going to uh, do whatever I ask. You're gonna make me dinner. You're going to, we're gonna, all your money is now my money. If I put that up in my house, listen, it's true. It is true, but if I make that the requirements in my house, you kind of lose the love feeling. Am I right? <laughs> now, if I say, Katie, we love each other. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to love you more than any woman. I'm going to do all that I can to serve you and to do the best I can. And everything I've got is yours. So when you need money to go grocery shopping, to go buy clothes, whatever you need, it's yours anyway. It's all yours. That's what a relationship looks like. So, I look at this list now not as a, Isaac, you need to earn this, do this, do this. I look at it as, you know what, Jesus? Thank you. I will love you with all that I've got. And this is what loving him with all that I've got looks like. And sometimes we're gonna blow it. You guys make mistakes in your marriage? I do. It's weekly disaster where I'm like, oh, listen, <laughs> I blew it. I'm sorry. And, and she forgives me because we're in a relationship. We, and 
she makes mistakes. God doesn't make mistakes. So he, he never has to ask for our forgiveness, but he's always there. He's always willing to forgive us. So this thing about Jesus saying, you need to put me above your family. Carry your cross, die to yourself. It's not a do this, do this, do this. It's a I love you. This is what I'm gonna do. And I'm gonna ask you to do the same thing because we love each other. We're in a relationship. That I get excited about. Worship team, if you'd come up, that, that takes the heaviness off of th those three requirements that Jesus laid on us. I'm so grateful that he did do those things. He did die for us. He gave us all. And, and if you haven't yet decided what you want to do, here I had just a couple of goals this morning. My goal was to uh, show you what Jesus said, uh, but also show us that we can't earn heaven. We're not going to be able to. It's a relationship. And I wanted to remind you of God's love for you. God's love for me. He did those three things for us. He doesn't ask us to do stuff he's not willing to do. Eventually, we're all going to have to make the decision. It's all going to be, there's going to be a cost eventually. It's everything now in life, or you think life now, you think you're really living, and it's cost later. I want to pay that cost up front. It is worth it. For those of us that have made that decision, we know that cost is nothing. I'm so glad I gave Jesus my life. Will you stand with me? We're going to pray, then we'll sing a song of, of worship to God who is worthy of all of our worship. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the reminder that you do love us, that you gave your life for us, and you ask us to do nothing less than to love you with all that we've got back. And Lord, perhaps there are people here today that need to be made aware that you do love them and need to be reminded that it is costly, but it is worth it. And Lord, I just ask that you'd move in people's hearts today to love you more today to, and to love better, love better their families, love better you, just to do things right and to be more uh, selfless, Jesus, like you were. Lord, for the great needs in here, meet every need. We love you. Thank you for your great word in your name. Amen. Amen.